Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast. I'm Teresa Blaze, and I got a real treat for you guys. I am with Miss Joanne Miller, um, who is a artist, an author, and she's got her hands full with a uh, – uh, she's been involved in prison ministry, and we're going to touch on a little bit of all of that. Before we get into that, however, I want to remind you guys that we are right in the middle of a book launch. We are in the middle of the God Met Me Here project. There's been a bunch of interviews already released, and you can go find those in the feed. They're bonus interviews with a bunch of people who have contributed to this project, and you can find out more and keep up to date with the God Met Me Here launch by going to www.unresolved.life forward slash launch. Let me tell you guys something. I am passionate about this. I can't wait to see what God does with it. Joanne, welcome to Unresolved Life. Why, thank you, Teresa. I am excited about sharing with your audience and hope that I speak to the hearts of those who are listening. Well, that's kind of the prayer, and um, I think I think we'll do well. So can you kind of give my audience a little bit of your backstory and how did you come to Christ and uh, a little bit of who you are now? My first day at Ohio State University and I stepped up to the main building, and my uh, now husband, Dan Miller, was there standing on the steps watching me come up the stairs and ask somebody to introduce us. And so the very first day, I was 17, and he was 19, uh, 18, I guess, at the time. And um, I met him on my very first day of college. And after that, it's, hey, it was a, a marriage meant in heaven. And we've been married now 50, almost 52 years. That's a milestone for sure. Um, I did not actually even know the Lord until I met Dan. In fact, even though I grew up in a home with, uh, that, with a, a mother as a single parent uh, who was very strict, and I was very naive, and my life was very uh, constricted to just being at home and being kind of like a surrogate spouse for all of those years prior to meeting Dan. I was the oldest of three daughters. My mother had been married and divorced several times. So I never knew having a man around at all. And I had my hands full just helping with all the chores and various things that I needed to do at home. So like I said, my world was very narrow. I met Dan and he introduced me to the Lord. He had been raised conservative Mennonite by parents who were raised Amish. So that was a very, very different background, and I knew nothing about it. I didn't know if Mennonite was a country or a religion or what it was. He took me to church with him, and through that, I became a, a Christian. And so that was a, a, obviously a lot of decades ago. And uh, we've had a very interesting journey in that we've been just about, uh, we've moved a lot. We've been in a lot, of, we've even lived in different states, different cities. So therefore, I've had a lot of experiences with different dom denominations, so I can pretty much fit in anywhere. <laughs> wow. Um, let me ask you this. What was it that drew you uh, to Christ? My last book, my uh, most popular book, Creating a Haven of Peace, 
was brought about, I think, a lot because of the peace that I so craved in my own life. Uh, my mother was uh, sometimes very violent and certainly very vocal, and uh, um, it was not an easy time growing up. And I craved, I've all, and I don't think this was even a conscious thing at the time, but I so craved peace that I found that by going to church and being involved in what I found out later or discovered were more normal families who had happy homes with uh, actually a mother and a father in the home, which I had never known. And, and siblings who loved each other and, and families who did things together. And I saw this in the church and it was very appealing to me in a time when I was very vulnerable and naive and needed some guidance. So Dan led to that and I'm thankful for it. That's very interesting. Your uh, your upbringing and mine are fairly similar. I grew up uh, an only child for most of my life, but I grew up in a very broken home. A lot of violence, murder, that kind of thing. Your story, your your upbringing and mine are exceptionally similar. So, how did you um, get into writing books? And then how? And then you are also involved now. You know, working with Dan. But you also got involved in prison ministry, correct? Yes, I did. Well, let me answer first about the books that you, you asked about, because um, uh, that's kind of an interesting piece to the puzzle of my life, too. Uh, when I reached the age of 50, I kind of had a midlife crisis. Now, I was married to a career coach and counselor. So in my head, I knew all the right things to do to, um, to go on with my life when I faced empty nest syndrome and the fact that I was also diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was 50 and I was having a lot of health issues and depression and so forth. And so I went through a really rough year. During that time, I decided I needed to do some things for me. And I started taking an art class. And this was um, back in 2000 to 2001, somewhere around in there. I started taking art class, and I'd never done that before, Teresa. I could not draw a stick figure that was recognizable. But I thought, well, that sounds interesting. And it was given, uh, it was inexpensive, and it was through the local recreation center by a local artist. And I decided I would take it. Well, it did not come easy for me. It was very difficult for me. And, and there were many times I wanted to give up. But I thought, no, I need this discipline in my life. These, are, these hours are just for me. I'm going to follow through. I ended up taking that class for 12 years or taking from that teacher for 12 years. I, I got to the point where I just told her I was paying her to be my friend. But I learned so much from her and it gave me the confidence after I started the art class and discovered there was more inside me than I thought there was that I started writing books. And I first started writing children's books and I have a series of four books that is the um, I Want to Be series, which has to do with personality styles of children. And then I did a book called Be Your Finest Art. And it's very uh, artsy and, and deals with a lot of people who have uh, who do creative positions in their work and, and have creative lives. Um, and then I did Creating a Haven of Peace. And, uh, and then I did another children's book. So I, I've had all of the writing that I've done really has been a result of getting the confidence, the self-confidence to believe in my, myself and to go further with 
gifts that I had inside me that I never realized before. So it's only been since I turned 50 that I discovered all of this. And that's been a number of years ago, two decades ago, actually. You, you actually mentioned that you were going through that time of depression and, and um, being diagnosed with uh, MS. During that time, what was your relationship with God like? That period of time was also coupled with our coming out of, and Dan may have mentioned this when you inter- interviewed him, but we were coming out, trying to come out from under a dark cloud with a business transaction where we lost uh, the business, we lost our home, we lost our cars, and we were heavily in debt, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and wondering what to do next. That was on top of all this um, business with me turning fifty and realizing that I had, I, I needed, I needed changes, and I needed to find out more who, about who Joanne Miller was. How did I handle my relationship with God? I'm going to be very transparent and very honest with you, Teresa. There were times when I railed at God. I look at God as being my heavenly father and my father, even in the sense where most people would think of their earthly father, but I never had that in my life. And so I figured that you know, much like what somebody would get angry with a parent on earth, I was angry with God. I felt like he was not holding up his end of the bargain and why pray because it wasn't going anywhere. And, you know, all those things that in all honesty, I think everybody, I don't care how Christian you are, you get to a point sometimes where you're wondering, is he really listening? That's so massive right there because if any any Christian that's worth their salt would admit there there was a time where they where they go through that moment. So when you when you did rail at him, did he actually speak? Did he did he actually come in that moment? Teresa, I don't I think it took a long time for me to come to peace with the fact that, you know, God is still there. You know, sometimes when you're right in the midst of turmoil and and chaos in your life, very difficult to see what might be on the other side. And um, it took me quite a few years to get to that point where I felt comfortable enough that I, I knew God really was in all of this. Because I look back now at all the stuff that went on back then, our losing our house and all the stuff that Dan learned and I learned through that reality of our lives and trying to come out of it helped us to better understand the people that we now work with. We never at that time in our lives ever thought about the fact that we would be writing books and helping people with career issues and life issues in the way, coaching other people, mentoring other people in the way that we are. And honestly, I don't think that would have happened had we not gone through those deep, deep valleys. So now I can look back and say, God was in all of it all the time. I just didn't always see it. Mm. What was your marriage like at that point? We've all, Dan and I decided when we were first married that we were going to change our family trees. Dan had a, a home life that was rather cold. It wasn't real warm and welcoming, and it was very strict religiously. He wanted to get out of that and and to change his family tree. I wanted to get out of the situation. I never knew having any men around, even my aunt's grandmother, everybody was divorced. It was all women. And um, I wanted to change my family tree so much so that we. I can so vividly remember 
draw us visually drawing a line in the sand saying, this is going to stop. Our lives are going to be different. And, um, and, and they have been. We really have worked hard at all these years at keeping our marriage first. And let me emphasize that that means even before our children. We have three amazing children, 17 amazing grandchildren. And yet my kids, our kids, and our grandkids love the fact that we always keep date night. Even now, when we're in our 70s, every Friday night is date night. And we don't let too many things interfere with that. And so when you ask what was our marriage like, really, it was pretty good. Our kids were happy, healthy. We had we kept doing things. We didn't do things we uh, that cost a lot of money because we were poor. But uh, there's a lot of things that can be done that doesn't cost money that really puts deposits in your relationships for your marriage and for your children. And and we put that first and foremost above everything else. Let me do a caveat here. That doesn't mean that there weren't days when I wanted to just uh, strangle Dan. Considering he's an entrepreneur, I could I could see why. <laughs> Not a whole lot of them. <laughs> I could I could totally see why. Um, wow. Okay, so you uh, you go through this like massive shift. You write these books. You start learning the art. Where does the prison ministry fit into this? I was involved in an organization called um, Christian Women in the Marketplace. And it was a ministry to the community. And we would have monthly meetings where we would have speakers, uh, a lot of musicians, people that you would know, famous people that would come and speak to our group. And um, uh, the lady who had founded that organization uh, befriended me to the point where I I ended up on the board for like 14 years for that organization. And uh, she was very involved in prison ministry and had been for a long time. And she kept encouraging me to come and and see what it was all about. And I kind of resisted because that was not something that I I ever felt led to do at all. It never occurred to me that I might do something in prison ministry. Just truthfully, never occurred to me. Well, Judy kept wanting me to go out to the prison and and check it out. And so there's there's a very large prison here in the Nashville area called the Tennessee Prison for Women has at any given time around 850 inmates, the majority of them in maximum security or worse. Uh, about 140 of those are in uh, more minimal security. At any rate, she one time invited the board members to come out to the prison with her and just share their testimonies. So I said, okay, I was a board member, an active board member. And I said, all right, I'll go and, and I'll do that. Well, I, it changed my life in so many ways. Honestly, I could I could tear up just talking about it because it was something that I never had any inkling would touch me in the way that it did. But we were in a, doing a worship service. She's uh, Judy is a, a a very good singer and worship leader, and so she was leading that. And then we were giving uh, a couple of us were giving our testimonies, and I saw a room full of women. There were probably 60, 70 women in there who uh, from all walks of life and all ages and colors and everything. And they touched my heart. There were women in there who knew the Bible far better than I. There were women in there who could quote scripture like I couldn't believe. 
prayer warriors that were unbelievable. I felt like I had been at church in a way I had never, ever experienced before. And I boo-hooed for two weeks afterwards. God wouldn't let it go. I couldn't talk about it without crying. I couldn't tell Dan about it without crying. He was in uh, New York, I believe, speaking or something. And he was supposed to come in the same night that I was out at the prison. He was supposed to fly in and his flight got canceled. And he didn't come in until the next day. And we were then taking off early that day to, to leave to go north to Ohio for a while to visit family, I believe. Anyway, I was thankful he didn't come in that night because I couldn't have talked to him. The next day when I was trying to tell him about my experience while we were driving, I cried and cried and cried. I couldn't get it out. It was like I was so profoundly touched. It was I couldn't go back. Once you experience something like that, you've got to go forward. So that's what happened. That's how I got involved in it. And first I got involved in just going out. Well, first I had to get a badge and that took a while. That it, They do an extensive you know, background check and everything. And that takes a little while because of all the red tape involved there. But I could still go out with Judy and, and do what I needed to do as far as helping women, uh, praying with them and giving them uh, a word of, of uh, scripture, whatever I, I could do to help them. And I did that for quite a while. And then I met a girl there at the prison who was praying one day. And we were praying in a group. And I had never heard anybody pray like she did. It just touched my heart. And I told her so. And then I got a letter from her not very long after that, asking me if when she got out, which was going to be, she thought she was going to be um, released pretty soon. She asked me, would I adopt her? She was not 30. She was in her 20s at the time. And she asked me, would I adopt her when she got out? Well, that just threw me for a loop. And I. What did she mean by adopt? He really wanted me to just take her a- as family because she didn't have anybody. She didn't, she wanted, she saw something in me that she wanted for herself. She wrote me a, a very nice, thoughtful letter. But at the time, uh, because you're, it, when you're involved in prison ministry as a volunteer, you really have certain parameters as to how much involvement you can have with an inmate. And in fact, even for her to write to me, had to go through all kinds of channels to get it to me. I, because she was in maximum security. And I said, I, I had to write back to her and tell her that I wasn't able to, or I would have to forfeit my volunteer badge. She th- did get out of prison. Uh, my daughter, Ashley, and I met her uh, that next morning, and she still had on her prison garb because she didn't have any clothes. She didn't have feminine hygiene project, products. She didn't have money. She didn't have anything. We took her to lunch. She didn't know how to order off of a menu. I took her shopping and bought her clothes and, and uh, toiletries and, and bought her lunch and just start, took her under my wing. And, oh, my gosh, it's been – I have learned a ton just as a side note, I have enabling down to a fine art. I do it well. And I learned a lot about what not to do when someone is released from prison and what I can do and be helpful and give them a hand up rather than a handout. And that's an important principle. Is this lady now, the lady that uh, you worked with, is she now on her feet? 
She is. Catherine has gone through oh, lots of ups and downs, and now she has three children. She has a husband who has been in and out of prison quite a bit. He was in prison. I, I didn't meet him for quite a while uh, and after she had been released, and then he was released. I worked with him. Dan and I both worked with him for quite a bit, too, but he's not. He, that has not been a good resolution to his life. He's still not in good shape. But she, on the other hand, has done very well. She's a fighter. She's a go-getter. She's a smart lady. She's never had a drug problem, which I will say that probably 75, 80% of the women who are in a women's prison are struggling or have been struggling with drug issues. And that's why they're there. They got caught in some kind of situation where drugs were involved. And I know this sounds extremely non-politically correct, nor, and it may sound sexist and all of that, but I firmly believe that the majority of them are there because of a man that has somehow abused them in their lives. The stories I heard were unbelievable. Did you have a chance when you were in ministry to actually lead someone to the Lord, uh, like in, in prison ministry? Most of my contact with the people were in groups. Um, so I didn't have the one-on-one with anybody other than Catherine, and she was already a Christian. So I didn't have to, you know, I've, I think I've worked enough with her that I've helped her along with her Christianity and her, her beliefs and so forth. But to actually say, uh, did I lead somebody specifically to the Lord? Uh, I no, no, not that I had a one-on-one experience with them. Now I had a lot of women who really were touched by things that I said, but whether or not they were led to the Lord from that, I don't know. You know, Teresa, we have a tendency to think that if somebody's in prison, obviously they don't know the Lord. Well, that is so not true. Men, just knowing the Lord doesn't keep everybody out of trouble, especially if they're in a an abusive situation where, like I've I, I talked to women in there who's father had sexually abused them or beaten them or their one lady was on death row young woman because she killed her grandfather for repeatedly sexually abusing him you know it's not that these women don't know the lord many of them do many of them are in such drastic situations that they did what they had to do to protect themselves at the time and they don't see a way out and they don't, they, and many of them can't afford good attorneys to get them off. So, you know, it's just, uh, it, it's a sad situation and certainly uh, spoke to my heart when I got involved and when I see what goes on in the prison, in the prison situations. In your opinion, what can be done to reform uh, the prison system? Honestly, I think the best thing that we can do is provide mentors for the people in prison. You know, you know, stopping all of the reasons why they're in prison and 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 the system itself is something that's way beyond me. But one thing that I know that I can do, I you know, I feel like uh, in some respects, like that quotation that uh, you hear of Mother Teresa, who said, you know, if you can't if you can't save them all, just try, just save one. I belong also to a group of women of, well, men and women called leaving the cocoon and the cocoon being prison. And they, this organization provides 
mentors to go into the prisons and mentor women before they get out and then stick with them for at least a year once they get out. And um, I think that that's the best way to stop the rate of recidivity, recidivity, well, now I can't say it, the recidivism rate. Um, because so many, the, with the, if you look at the, the prisons, the state prisons, the rate of risk, ris, well, you know what I mean, going back to the rate prison, of return. Yes, I cannot get it out today. But the rate of return is very, very high. But li- through leaving the cocoon, it is minimal. It's like 15% or something. So we know for a fact that if people are, if these uh, ex-felons are given help once they get out, somebody to that, that they can relate to and and will listen to them and help them along to uh, to return to society, that helps tremendously in keeping them from going back. And I think that's the best solution. Uh, it's, it's not, I don't know what can be done to change the system because there's so much politics involved and corruption, even within the prisons. It's ridiculous. I'm reminded, I did an interview with uh, David Arthur. He was a transgender for over 30 years and he actually ended up in a prison uh, for some time. Uh, and I'm reminded uh, there was a, a situation where one of the actual prison guards called him over and said, Hey, what's your name? And he gave his transgender name. No, what's the name you were born with boy. And he gave it and he said, I'm going to start calling you that because you're meant for more because I can. And that guard even though David was like, I want to hurt this guy, that guard had a huge impact on his life. It, it's, it's amazing how I know, now I've not worked with men in prison, I've only worked with women, so that's my frame of reference. But these women so need somebody to mentor, somebody to speak into their lives, and somebody to believe in them. Some, most of them have never had that. And all the things that you and I take for granted because we are loved and because we are, have ha- happy families and we have warm homes to live in and all that, most, many of these women did not have that. Now, I'm not going to say all of them because there are some of them that are in there because, um, and, and they're, they're professional women who have done things that uh, made bad decisions and ended up in prison. But there's a big majority of them who've never, ever seen a loving, happy family. And if there are mentors provided for them or people who will speak into their lives, people who will believe in them and listen to them and really see beyond the obvious, that's what they need. That's what they crave. And isn't that what we're called to? I mean, overall, uh, uh, our Lord said, you know, when you minister to the least of these, when you visited me in prison, you visited, uh, or when you visited the least of these in uh, prison, you visited me. It's so true, Teresa. It really is. And let me tell you something that I, I I'm very well aware of and really disturbs me. And that is that as Christians, when we love someone, we love as we are supposed to, and we are called to love as God loves us. Well, let me tell you, I had a lot of people help me along the way with Catherine, the lady that I uh, have mentored. And the first time Catherine messed up, which she, 
was bound to do. I mean, she had a lot of learning to do. They were gone because they, she didn't live up to their expectations. Now, these are good Christian people who thought, well, sure, I'll go. And my, my, uh, my, my um, son, who has spent a lot of time uh, ministering to women in um, Africa, he lived in Africa for 10 years. He said it always irritates him to see people come over to pet the poor. Well, that's some that there is some uh, of that even in the prisons. People who say, "Oh, certainly, I'll volunteer or I'll help mentor or whatever," and then the first time somebody makes a mistake, messes up, goes back and and gets back on drugs or even goes back in for a time into prison, whatever, then it's all over. That is not uh, that's not unconditional love. That's very conditional love. And uh, there were many times I learned a lot of lessons. I shed a lot of tears. I had a lot of frustration uh, all those times at early years with Catherine. But, you know, she needed unconditional love. And now she's at a point where she stands on her own two feet and she's uh, uh, contributing to society and keeping a job and raising uh, good children and that's because somebody believed in her enough and stuck with her enough to um, give her the confidence to go forward. And there's so few people who are willing to do that. And I don't care if they call themselves Christians or what they call themselves. Unconditional love is just what it says. That means when somebody screws up, you don't just give up on them. So that's my soapbox for the day. <laughs> uh, hey, you know what? You're speaking my language. I have se- I've seen this uh, within the church so much where you got to check all these boxes and do all these things in order to kind of fit in. And it's like, well, wait a minute, aren't we all sinful? Then the Bible say all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, there's none righteous, no, not one. So, um, you know, before you start pointing the finger, look back at the four pointing at you. That's the, that's the truth. Yes. So true. I really want people to take away, uh, at least from my thinking that, you know, when we're we're supposed to go into all the world, and that doesn't, he didn't say except for the prisons. Or except for the poor people, or except for those that don't look like us, or act like us, or whatever. Yeah, that there were no exceptions like that. And you see this over and over and over in the Bible, and the way Jesus treated uh, others, and related to others. And um, uh, Dan and I both take relationship very, very seriously. We take commitment very, very seriously. So if we're going to get committed to somebody or something, we are going to stay that way. And uh, some little something going awry does not upset that. Certainly, it may be a difficult time to go through, but I've learned in all my seven decades of life that. you know, sometimes life happens and you get through it and you get to the other side. And usually there's something a lot better there at the other side. So just be patient and, uh, and, and muddle through. That's how we learn. Amen. Amen. Well, Joanne, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and talking about these subjects. Thank you, Teresa. I, I hope that I've touched the hearts of somebody uh, out there in your audience. And I hope that they will consider being a mentor to somebody coming out of prison or out of jail or out of a drug rehab center or whatever. Mentors are so needed. I take that so seriously because I looked for mentors in my life when I was quite young. When we were first married, we decided that 
we needed mentors because we weren't getting mentored through our families. We needed them outside that. And we looked all over for mentors. And to this day, we still do. So I, uh, and we, and we get coached and we, 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 I don't ever want to stop learning and growing. And I, I know that this is something that all of us need. And, um, and it's especially needed for those who are unfortunate enough to end up in prison. Amen. Amen. You know, it's so funny. Uh, when I became a Christian and just, I think this kind of illustrates in a different scenario, but I think it illustrates the point that we're making here. When I first became a Christian, I didn't get discipled or mentored into the faith until a year and a half later. Okay. I literally had to scrounge through on my own. Uh, and I had no idea what it looked like to be a Christian because I grew up in a non-Christian home. And I had to literally look through the radio for through Christian teaching. I mean, my mom thought I was listening to hit my music and playing my video game. No, I was listening to Christian teaching, trying to figure out how do I live this thing? For some people, it's a, a very, very difficult journey, but the rewards are so worth it. And uh, and I do believe the importance uh, in the importance of finding good mentors. And one thing uh, that I'd learned along the way is that you don't find a mentor that is perfect in every way, because I think that's God. And they're not on earth, but you find people who are really excelling in the areas in which you need mentoring and search them out. Usually they're eager to help. Amen. Amen. Well, Joanne, thank you so much for coming on the show. You are very welcome, Teresa. Thank you for asking me. Oh, not a problem. Guys, this has, uh, wow. I, this is why I do these, these interviews because we need to actually sit back and think about these subjects. What do we do with those that are coming out of prison? What did Christ say to do with them? How should we respond? These and many more subjects are the subjects that I feel so called to address. Because if we don't, if we as a church do not, who will? Wow. Um, with that, guys, again, please uh, go check out the God Met Me Here uh, stories. You will find them and find all the information about the book at www.unresolved.life forward slash launch. Oh, and one more thing. Joanne, where can people find you? Uh, they can go to the uh, um, well, joannefmiller.com website. Um, and also all the other things that we do are under the 48days.com label. Um, that website there that Dan, where it's uh, what Dan and I do to help other people uh, with career issues and life issues and that kind of thing. But Joanne F. Miller, you'll see my art, you'll see my books and that kind of thing also. Beautiful, beautiful. We'll link uh, both of those um, in the show notes. But this is Teresa Blaze. This has been the Unresolved Life Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we will speak again next time. You've been listening to the Unresolved Life Podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life.